0: The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
1: What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip.
2: Oh my God, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip
1: Podcast.
2: This is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. This is Cody Rhodes, the Prince of Pro Wrestling, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip.
1: This is Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Woogie Man. Tell my people and my brothers and sisters, don't you dare miss John and Chad. Hey, everybody out there, this is the franchise Shane Douglas. Remember me? <laughs> well, guys, it's great to be on the show again. I appreciate you asking me back. See, so you said you were going to pinch yourself. I didn't know it was that Kind of show now. I mean, if you guys are in the privacy of your own home, if you want to do these things, good. How you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We're ready to go, or what? Uh, Chad. Uh, hey, man. What's up, guys? This is Homicide. Oh, that's my homie, Homicide with a big homie club. Yeah, that would be it. Hey, this is David Penzer, and this is the two man power trip of wrestling well thank you thank you hear me fear me i don't do many wrestling shows anymore probably because i'm a bit ignorant you guys probably know 10 times more than i do look mean gene i can't beat me. i'm the greatest of all time and i would say that and every kid up they knew they could kick the shit out of me great talking to you guys it's been your pleasure <laughs> they've worked in and around the wrestling business young man, you can't be distracted, but it's hard not to when the posse comes out. At that time, courageous gaze into the eyes, and a bulldog on the top, gaze into the eyes that time, Vampiro that did it courageous, and it made him almost like a zombie, and there's no fight left in the young man right here. That Vampiro had on Evan Courageous. Walked out calmly, no physical contact at all, it. Gazed into the eyes, and that set in motion a win by Lodi. Eye to eye. We're back with more on TNT. All
0: right, let's get it going right here and right now. This is the two man power trip of wrestling brought to you today and powered by our good old friends over at Blue Chew. Stay tuned a little bit later on in the show and find out how you can take advantage of our very special offer, courtesy of Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. But if you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner on the Two Man Power Trip, the one and only JP John Paz. But John is on a special assignment right now, taking care of some Two Man Power Trip of wrestling business. So fly in solo for this introduction. ...of today's episode with Brad Kane, otherwise known as Lodi, will be myself. So welcome to our uh, little conversation that we've got going on here right now. Because in this conversation with Lodi, we take a look back into the heyday of the Monday Night War... ...and we look at the power that the flock had during the Monday Nitro era, but if you want to talk about Lodi, you got to talk about his appearance coming up this August at The Gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina. The Gathering going to be probably the biggest show of the summer. It's taking place at the Hilton Charlotte University in Charlotte, North Carolina from August 15th through August 18th of course brought to you by T-Mart Promotions but this episode is also powered by KNS Wrestlefest our good buddies Ken and Steve who are really they are bringing out everything but the kitchen sink for this convention down in Charlotte North Carolina because not only will you be seeing Lodi at the KNS Wrestlefest area at the gathering you will also be seeing the great CW Anderson Mr. Hughes the outlaw Joel Deaton Colonel Parker himself Robert Fuller, Chick Donovan, Ron Reese, also of the flock, Medusa, the Glamour Girls, Judy Martin and Leilani Kai, Desiree Peterson, and Rip Oliver, just to name a few. And it's going to be such a happening down there in Charlotte, North Carolina, for one of the biggest four day wrestling conventions you could possibly imagine. Also, don't forget the two man power trip will be in town as well with the Brain Busters, Tully Blanchard, and Arn Anderson. But more on that in the coming weeks on this program. Uh, But yeah, let's talk about Lodi. Lodi, obviously, one of the key members of the flock. And everybody remembers the flock sitting ringside, getting ready to hop that guardrail and interfere in any of Raven's matches or any of the segments involving other flock members. Of course, they had their huge war with Saturn after he defected from the flock. But Lodi standing out like a sore thumb with the uh, the sideburn chops, the sunglasses and of course those signs that became such a focal point of not only the camera but also everybody in the crowd kind of taking a look at what he said on those signs and we go into that in great detail and John really hits the nail on the head and really pinpoints with Lodi where that idea came from and who really gave the okay on what would go on those signs. So you'll catch that in this episode. And it's really just a fun look back at an era that I think we all really look at with just such uh, adulation and just such pride that it was a great time to be a fan. But somebody like Lodi, a key member of a group like Raven's Flock was really involved in so many of those great moments especially on Monday Nitro. We also get into John's personal favorite storyline of all time at least it seems that way from this interview the Lenny and Lodi saga. What was the deal with that gimmick? What was the story behind that tag team and where was it supposed to go and whose idea was it and which booker said it was a horrible idea. This is all involved in this episode and John really gets into the Lenny and Lodi storyline for some reason. I don't know why, he just absolutely is obsessed with it and I've known the guy for almost 20 years and he has always loved the Lenny and Lodi storyline so this was a benchmark moment for him to say the least to get the scoop out of Lodi as to what was really going on with the Lenny and Lodi gimmick. But I don't want to spoil anything else from this interview. This is a lot of fun. It's a true story of uh, redemption as Lodi battled a lot of personal demons and to really come out ahead and do so many special things like he's doing down in Charlotte. And the Charlotte area has a great wrestling school. He's going to tell us all about that in this episode. So we really implore you to take a listen and you might learn something because Lodi's got a lot to say more than he could fit on those amazing signs that he had back in the Monday Night War era. So, let's wrap it up here nice. Again, we want to plug it for KNS WrestleFest. You can head on over to their site to pre-order your tickets and it's www kswrestlefest.weebly.com again it's kswrestlefest.weebly.com you can get your pre-order information you can get your signing times and you can get all the details that you'll need to come join everybody down at the gathering in charlotte north carolina so many amazing legends will be in attendance that weekend in charlotte and taking over the south in a way that only professional wrestling can and hey, before we get it over to the interview with Lodi, wanna just tell you again, if you haven't checked us out with the Triple Threat Podcast, we've moved it over to Vince Russo's The Brand. And we are doing some great things over there, creating some video content as well as the podcast that you got to know and love on our iTunes feed. Uh, the last couple episodes have been absolutely off the charts. And if you haven't had a chance, subscribe to Russo's Brand by going to russo'sbrand.com as part of the Realm Network for only three ninety five dollars a month, you get... 11 plus shows with some of the greatest talent to get behind a microphone like Vince Russo as well as Stevie Richards, Big Vito and of course, our good buddy the franchise, Shane Douglas so, with all that being said, let's wrap it up here nice, let's hit you with a little bit of two man power trip of wrestling business and get it on over to the sign guy of
2: WCW, the one and only Lodi. now for some TMPT business like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip, and at Rasslin Pal. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. Also subscribe to us on iTunes. Please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Also while on iTunes, check out the feed for prior legendary episodes featuring the living legend Bruno Sammartino, the late great American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, The Enforcer, Arn Anderson, Ray Mysterio Jr., Glenn Kane, Jacobs, The Phenomenal AJ Styles Lead WWE Attorney Jerry McDivitt And so many others Also while you're on the internet Check out ProWrestlingTees.com Yes that is ProWrestlingTees.com They are your superstore For all your wrestling t-shirt needs Check out our page Check out Tito Santana Coco Beware Kevin Thorne Magnum TA And so many others Also while you're on the web Check out our website TMPTofWrestling.com And for all you Android users, please hit us up on Google Play or Player FM. And all you iOS users, please check us out on TuneIn Radio, Automatic, Spotify, and now iHeartRadio. And now, without any further ado,
0: a former WCW superstar... He was the sign guy of WCW. He was also a member of Raven's Flock and the West Hollywood Blondes. He is Brad Kane. He is Lodi. Please enjoy. Joining us on the line tonight is a former WCW superstar. You might remember him as a member of Raven's Flock. He was also the man sitting ringside with many, many signs during the heyday of Monday Nitro. He was also a member of the West Hollywood Blondes. He is the one and only Lodi. Lodi, welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. Hey,
1: man. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you tonight.
0: Oh, Lodi, we're so pumped to have you on the show. And we're also really pumped to be seeing you this coming August down at The Gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina, being brought to you by KS WrestleFest, a huge show going on at the Hilton University uh, Hotel down there in Charlotte. A lot of your contemporaries going to be there. How are you looking forward to this gigantic wrestling weekend? Hey, man,
1: I see the, the guests kind of list. Continue to grow, and it's always awesome to catch up with guys you haven't seen in a while. I'm really excited about catching up with my former flock mate, as Reese and I will be together signing autographs, I think, at the morning uh, gig there. And, And most of all, it's in Charlotte, and I live in Charlotte. So for me to work at home for a weekend is an absolute blessing.
0: Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> that that's almost even better. That you don't uh, you don't have yeah, exactly. to get up too early in the morning yeah. to get over to the hotel. <laughs>
1: yeah, no no flights. You know, no early morning flights, no late night flights. Just drive twenty minutes, and I'll be there. So I'm looking forward to it. And like I said, I have the list of uh, wrestlers that are going to be there just it's incredibly long. And I think it's going to be a monster show. As far as if you're a fan and you want to catch up with some guys you haven't seen or you know, get some autographs or merch or whatever it may be. I think it's going to be a good ticket.
0: Yeah, just the sheer amount of people that are going to be in attendance makes it like a must-see convention. I mean, there's so many people from so many different eras, but I love that the concentration is really going back to around that late 90s time and all the way backwards, and obviously we'll never, ever forget what went on during that heyday of Monday Nitro, but I love the fact that you and Reese will be reuniting because Reese, I yeah. mean, he stood out like a sore thumb amongst a lot of those guys because he was so big. <laughs> but you yourself, I think you two may have been the most unique looking out of that whole entire flock. You with the signs and him with the size.
1: You know, he was a monster of a man. I just, I run a wrestling school here in Charlotte now called Team Fearless Training Academy. And we were just having this discussion the other day about the WCW power plant. That's actually where I met Reese when I went down and tried out for WCW after wrestling on the Indies for about a year and a half, and he was one of the guys who was already there, and he really did an awesome job of kind of taking me under his wing and teaching me some stuff and, and really giving me, you know, teaching me the ropes more than anything else and just how to get around the business and that kind of stuff because he was there, and he was just always willing to lend a helping hand. And so The fact that we ended up wrestling on TV together and, and uh, being in the same group was even better.
0: You know, whoever saw Reese for the first time and thought, man, we got to throw him underneath some toilet paper and call him the Yeti, man, they really missed the boat on that one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) you know, it's a lifelong joke and, you know, Reese went out and did it the best he could, but that was kind of a... A no-win situation, I'm afraid. That's a that's borderline shockmaster moment.
0: <laughs> hey, it's an unforgettable one. So say, we well, it could have been uh, funny at the time, but still we're talking about it here in 2019. But tell us more about your school and what you got going on down there in Charlotte.
1: Uh, you know, throughout my wrestling career, I, I bragged all the time, not on myself, but the people I ended up being associated with. Uh, when I first came to the power plant, like I said, Reese was one of the guys there. But, you know, I met Raven not long after moving to Atlanta. And, and it's hard to spend time with Raven and not get better in the wrestling business and not learn more because he is such a genius when it comes to knowing wrestling and seeing wrestling and actually teaching it to other people. And so it, it was neat that you said, you know, I stood out in the flock. And you said Reese cut his size. I think character-wise, Kidman and, and I probably stood out more than everybody else as being different. But I get, I got to give that credit to Raven because he had an idea for every single character in the flock, and some of the guys just weren't willing to go as far with it as he wanted or he wanted them to portray. And I think because Kid and I kind of did it hook, line, and sinker, um, it really got us over more because he knew what he was doing, where the other guys kind of wanted to be cool and you know be more Raven-like. They just ended up blending in and kind of getting lost in the shuffle, I think, as opposed to all having individual characteristics, which Raven had given them to stand out and mm-hmm. something special.
0: You know, what's really cool about that is during that era, obviously they always said, you know, you throw an NWO shirt on somebody and obviously, you know, they'd be over because they'd be in the NWO. But I think the same could be said for members of the flock because, you know, for the most part, we didn't know who some of these people were, you know, obviously with you, we saw you on TV and we're like, who's the, who's this guy with the sign? And then we come to see what you can do. But then you see guys that needed that little bit of a repackaging. You throw a guy like Scotty Riggs out there who goes from being, you know, uh, basically a Chippendale to throwing on an eye patch and not talking and it changed his whole entire character dynamic I think all you needed was that associated, association with Raven and then obviously your whole entire dynamic changes for your character
1: right right you know and again like I said he Raven was the brains behind everything you saw on TV with that whole uh, gimmick and, and the whole storyline no matter what we were doing he had his hand in it and I, I just can't say enough good things about him so go back to wrestling school like I was talking earlier you know learning from Raven uh, working hand-in-hand with some of the guys at WCW. Like, when Lynn and Lodi were together, Dusty Rhodes did almost the majority of all our vignettes, giving us ideas, giving us verbiage, and kind of critiquing and then tweaking what we had given him, what we wanted to do. And then when I left WCW, Dusty Rhodes opened up a wrestling company in Atlanta, and I went down and worked for him for a couple of years and trained his kids and ran his, and booked his wrestling company on the weekends. So I've had a lot of chances since leaving the power plant to work at different training schools, And I had so many guys pouring to me, you know, from DDP to Raven to, you know, the American Dream, Dusty Rose. you got that kind of knowledge, you know, to not pass it on would kind of be a shame. So I'm I'm very blessed that I've got a good group of kids with me now that every single Tuesday and Thursday we have practically busting their butt. I've got uh, three of them who... Just started wrestling practice last summer, and now they're all doing matches and they're doing great. So I'm proud of them. got some new kids and new, uh, new girls in. And so it's fun for me. And in my mind, it's trying to give back for what so many guys gave to me. And that that's where I truly I really derive my joy in, in doing that. Because I'm still wrestling, but, you know, it's, it's the indie show on weekends. It's four or five times a month. But, you know, I, I'm past the stage of working, you know, 14 days in a row or that kind of thing.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And again, it's the Team Fearless Training Academy, and we'll uh, we'll kind of direct everybody to your social media here in a little bit. But you know, I cool. just think about yeah. that that whole thing with the WCW Power Plant. I mean, obviously, looking back, you know, we would see little glimpses of it. You know, you'd see a little television piece on it here or there. You'd hear it talked about. You know, in the dirt sheets, <laughs> and you'd hear that. You know, just because it was WCW and it was a training facility, didn't mean that it wasn't like the school of hard knocks. So, how was it trying to survive the power plant on some of those
1: uh, those rougher days? You know, I really appreciate you bringing this up because this is a really awesome story for me to share. And I just went through this with my new kids at school. You know, when I went down to Atlanta to try out to get into the power plan, my tryout consists of 27 guys. And the tryout was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days long. My tag team partner at the time, who ended up <clears throat> quitting and not making it through the first tryout, you know, we had 27 guys start, and at the end of three days, there were three of us left, three out of 27. And, and then the office was like, you know, you have a good look. We'd love for you to come back. They told the other guy, you got a good look. We'd love for you to come back. You know, pay your $5,000, you can start training. But the third guy was a little shorter than I was. He made it through the tryout, and they looked at him and said, yeah, you're too small. We can't use you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, talk about a dream crusher there. You know, the guy paid $250. He gets through the tryout, and they're like, yeah, you're not big enough. So um, that was kind of an eye-opener, too, you know. But to go through that tryout, I was in the military. I served in the Army, basic training,
2: the whole nine yards.
1: And I went up to SAR it was all over. And I asked my first question to him out after the tryout was, what branch of the service were you in? And he said, you know what, man, I never was. I said, well, I'll tell you this. What you put me through for the last three days is – and I always tell people basic training is just hard. It's just that's what it's supposed to be. But the, the three-day tryout at the power plant was honestly the roughest and hardest three days of my life. It, it, it was just, you know, they, they pushed us with the squats and the running and the sprints and the, you know, push-ups and the getting in the ring and running the ropes. And like I said, I had been working for a year and a half. It wasn't, you know, you were getting great on your wrestling ability. It was getting great on your cardiovascular intensity, your heart, and how you looked. So, I was very blessed to make it through the first time. And, and then, once I moved down a week later to go to Atlanta, the training at the power plant was good. You know, we, we would go back every time they'd have a tryout each month and go through it with the young kids, but it wasn't like if you, you, know, you want to take a break, you take a break, you aren't the one trying out anymore. So, but it, it was a good deal, and it really helped shape between the military and that. You know, as far as the discipline I had from bodybuilding and stuff, it was just one of those things that made me realize. You know, if you're disciplined and you stick to it and, and work, it, you know, as The Rock says, be the hardest working person in the room, good things happen. Yeah, guys
0: like Sarge and Paul Orndorff scared off more people, I think, from professional wrestling than anybody else. You know, you could probably line up in a room full of, uh, you know, other training. Uh, facilities but you know what I mean at the time I mean look it's in 2019 maybe that doesn't fly today but at the time you know that was a hard-nosed way to learn the ropes and obviously I mean those guys had success you know did you feel at that point that that the way they were training was the right way to do it
1: absolutely I I would you know the the coolest thing if you don't know the ins and outs of the way it was ran when I was there once you started practice or you got into the power plant after your tryout, they had three trainers. There was Pez Wadley, there was Sarge, Buddy Lee Parker, and there was Mike Winter. And Mike was the guy when you first started that took you off in a ring, all the greenest kids there, and worked on wrestling, you know, doing the mat wrestling, you know, just getting down and learning how to do it. And the next step up, like I graduated over to the next ring over where Sarge was. And, you know, these guys are running more intense spots, and Sarge lays his stuff in. So you go from working with a guy who's super light to working with a guy who I wouldn't call stiff, but he's about as snug as you can get without crossing that line. And so it was a big eye-opener, but it was good. And so then the next step was to hang out with Pez. Now, Pez never got in the ring and talked about running spots. Pez never got in the ring and talked about, you know, here's how you do a headlock. But Pez was a psychology guy. And taught you the psychology of the wrestling match, how to make those fans stand up, how to make them sit down, how to lead them through a myriad of emotions that they're paying to. You know, they want to boo and they want to cheer. But so many wrestlers to this day, I think, go out and focus on just doing some moves, and they get mad when the fans don't react. And if you don't make an emotional connection with them, you might as well be doing collegiate wrestling. It's just, it's just guys doing moves. So until you learn how to connect with those fans and get an emotional response from them, I really think you're missing the boat. So that's the way we were trained, and and that's the way I've trained anybody I've worked with since then.
0: And that's such an asset, too, because, I mean, when you're learning from the— see, I look at it this way. You learn from the guard that learned from the guard before them, so obviously everybody picks up something along the line. So what the experience you've got was is you were wrestling literally in the hottest time in the history of the business so what time did what what's the time frame that you landed in the power plant
1: i went down for my my power tryout in april of 97 and started on tv in october it, it was a whirlwind of fast go through and you know nikita koloff the, the russian nightmare everybody knows who nikita koloff is i grew up watching nikita Nikita and I have become great friends as adults, and we see each other at least once a month for lunch or whatever. And, you know, Nikita does a lot of preaching now and speaking. He's been a great motivator and a great inspiration and mentor to me for my speaking engagements. And I speak almost as many times a month now sometimes as as I wrestle. And he and I both talk about that whole thing of us coming in and so quickly getting thrust into a national, international spot that taught us how to get in front of people and be comfortable. And you didn't have a choice. And It's funny that we both think that was God's way of preparing us for what we're doing in life now because we do the same thing when we preach. You know, we fly to a new town. We're in front of a 1,000 people we don't know. We go back to the hotel and we fly home. And it's just instead of wrestling, we're speaking and spreading the gospel. So it's a pretty cool thing that how fast I made it was, I think, totally out of my hands and in one of God's deals. So, um, you know, to go down in April and try out, I did W C WCBO show down in Orlando that summer. We would, down, we would go down and film three months of TV time. And then shortly after coming back from Orlando, Raven made a call to Terry Taylor about putting me in the flock and, you know, the rest is kind of
0: history. That's a great comparison, number one, to the uh, going out and the preaching, because obviously that is – that is you hit the nail right on the head with the – you got a 1,000 different people every night just like you would at a wrestling yeah. show. That's fantastic. I, that, I never would have thought about that, even all the times that we have yeah. talked to Nikita. I never put that parallel together. But, you know, you go right from the power plant to WCW on Nitro ringside. You know, was it kind of a whirlwind to go straight into that world of cutthroat, you know, political BS? You know, it was pretty much the height of when I think the tensions would have been kind of rolling high because everybody was fighting for their lives at that point in the wrestling business.
1: You know what? So at WCW you you missed that your statement was true i think you might have missed it by let's say six months to a year because when i started in 97 we were still beating wwe in the rankings right morning. correct or yes WWE. correct and so we had that long stretch and so when i got there and started and again down the power plant there were the guys would come in down there everybody was in a great mood because you know the ratings were high everybody was getting paid and getting paid a lot of money and so for me you talk about living out a, a dream and, and a fantasy camp of, for me, growing up loving watching Mid Atlantic wrestling here in North Carolina with Nikita Koloff, with Dusty Rose, with Ric Flair, and all these guys all of a sudden become my friends as adults, and I'm getting paid to be there. So I was, it, while it was a whirlwind of going from doing indie shows every weekend to my first show as a pay per view at the Palace at Auburn Hills, the night Raven, and you spoke you spoke Riggs, the night Raven wrestled Riggs at the pay per view. And so it was a little overwhelming, you know, to go from, I'm wrestling in front of 300 people in an armory to, you know, Sunday night I'm going to be in the Palace in Hills in front of 18,000 people. <laughs> but the transition for me as far as being on TV and being in that environment just didn't really feel a lot different than when I performed in front of 400 because it's still the same performance I felt. Yeah, I've got 10 million people watching me at home, but when I've got that camera in my face, I'm looking in a box. I'm not sitting there thinking about 10 million people watching my every move at home. I'm thinking about doing my job and emotionally connecting with those fans. And for me to perform in front of 46,000 to Georgia Dome like I did, or for this past weekend did a show that probably had 250 people. It, it's the same for me. You know, I've, I've still got fans. I've got to entertain them. I've, make them got, I've got to make them cheer for Lodi because – Typically, when you got Bible verses on your signs and you put Philippians four thirteen on your trunk, it's kind of hard to be a heel when you're going out <laughs> with Bible verses. And so, you know, it's my job to get them. To, and, and listen, I haven't been on TV since two thousand and two. Now, the network has helped a lot of people become familiar with my work and stuff again. But you know, to get those kids who don't even know you're on TV, have never know nothing about your career, to get them involved for the first time they see you—that that's my job. And, and that fact that I've been taught how to do that, and it always works. Yeah, like I said, that's what I want to pass on to my kids that I'm training.
2: One thing that yeah, I'm always very curious about is the name and how, how the name comes about. And I know you had some name issues because obviously, you know, you're using raisin cane, and then all of a sudden you, you're Lodi on TV. Yeah. How does that name come? Is that something you make up? Is the creative team making up? How does that come about?
1: Here's the crazy story.
2: So, truly, the back of just a, a hair.
1: When I was in Atlanta, I was out one night with Johnny Attitude, who did a lot of um, Saturday night taping. That he he might have done Night of Thunder here and there. He was an enhancement guy, and he actually just he was running the Micro Mini's mid uh, deal. He passed away about a year ago. Um, Johnny Green was his name, but he wrestled with Johnny Attitude, and he was a great friend of mine down at the plant. He and I um, worked together a lot as far as he like like Reese took me on, you know, under his wing. And so we were out one night. Right after moving to Atlanta, and Raven had just moved to Atlanta, and Johnny's like, hey, bro, let's go talk to Raven. I'm like, A, I don't know him, B, I'm not the biggest fan, and I just want to bug him. So Johnny goes over to talk to Raven. He comes back. He goes, hey, Raven wants to meet you. And I'm like, what? I I was a competitive bodybuilder and a wrestler before I became a wrestler and owned a personal train studio. So Johnny goes over and talks to Raven. The first thing he says, like, hey, you're only good personal trainers. So – Johnny tells him about me. I go over to speak to Raven, met him, and he asked me some questions about who I trained, what I'd done in bodybuilding, et cetera. And he hired me on the spot to be his personal trainer. And so yeah. for about three weeks, I picked him up. And he gave me the address to his house. He said, pick me up tomorrow. We'll, we'll go to the gym together. So after about three weeks of picking him up and driving him to the gym, I had just sold my gym. So I was doing indie shows on the weekend, living in Atlanta. And Raven asked me, he's like, hey, man, would you be willing to be my personal assistant? I'm like, okay, what does that entail? It's a little you know, I, I know him well enough already that, that that might be a tricky deal. And he's like, oh, mm. I pick up my bike clean when I'm not home, check my mail, that kind of stuff. And when I'm here, you can help him run errands, whatever. And so I became Raven's personal assistant in real life. And so he got upset with me after a couple of months. He's like, Hey man, when I'm home on the weekends you're always gone doing indie shows. I mean, I know you're wrestling and trying to get better. I really need you on T V with me. And I'm like, dude, that'd be great. <laughs> you know, all for mm. If we, were, if we were sitting in a bar on a Thursday night near Raven's house. Never forget, he goes, I'm tired of this. He picks up the phone. He calls Terry Taylor, who was doing the booking for the flock and the mid-card guys. And he's like, hey, do you know Brad Cain down at the power plant? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, can I put him in the flock on Monday at Nitro? And Terry's response was, well, another this is Thursday night, at like 1 o'clock in the morning. He said, well, we have the pay-per-view on Sunday. Why don't you have him come to Detroit on Saturday for the, the Auburn Hills pay-per-view? And so on Thursday night, I'm sitting in a bar with Raven with dark hair, and he looks at me at one o'clock in the morning and goes, "Eh, we didn't make you look as star. How about uh, let's go with Billy Idol? We'll get your hair dyed blonde, get you some black leather pants, buy some chains, get some Harley boots, and um, you know, and we'll go and we'll go with that." And so when I started, we didn't have a name. And after a couple of weeks, and Raven throwing out some names, the company shut down. I don't know if you heard those stories or not, but he had some really disgusting names for me that the company wouldn't allow. <laughs> Hmm. And finally, I was like, hey, you know, they're like, we'd love to call you Idol, but you dress just like and you, you, you're copyrighting, you, know, You're breaking copyright infringement if we call you Idol because you have, you have so many similarities of Billy Idol's outfit. And I'm like, so how about if we just turn the thing around? So, bloaty is nothing but Idol spell backwards.
2: That is great and kind of had that Billy Idol look a little bit, you know, with the blonde hair, the spikiness. But what are some of the names that he wanted to do that WCW said no way to?
1: <laughs> Do you guys not know this story? I'm being serious because it's it's been it's been told a thousand times over. Truly, Raven wanted me to be called Skink.
2: Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that got shot. That, that got shot down by Mr. Eric Bischoff, <laughs> and he had a real fine response that I just refused to repeat again because I've said it several times and I can't take out the, the vulgarity. So and, and it had the same ring. So basically, he said no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's great Raven can be you know a little little strange sometimes and, and you know he's got some crazy ideas that uh, that's for sure What so what was it like with him not even in the business because that's awesome that you know you're his trainer then you're his assistant then he's getting in WWE. but you know what's he like you know away from the ring you know he's a little quirky <laughs> a
1: little quirky Back in those days, let's just go with he was a lot of quirky. But the <laughs> funny thing is, both of us, we spent a lot of time together. And it was hard when you spent, I mean, I truly spent more time with him than I did my family members by far because we traveled together, we rode together, we worked out together, we roomed together. And, you know, when we came home off the road, you know, we were five miles apart. I saw him every day, he worked out at the same gym, and, and basically I was still running, you know, his personal system gimmicks, which really ended up being just us hanging out together. But we argued a lot. You know, it was like, hey, David, that car's blue. Eh, no, it's sky blue. And that would be a, a four-hour argument. And randomly one day he came up and he said, hey, what do you get me for my birthday? And I'm like, what are you getting me for my birthday? Turns out we have the same birthday. And everybody that knows us said the reason you two fight like cats and dogs, you're just carving copies of each other. You, you know, you both think you're smarter than you are. You both think you know everything, and so that's what it is. You're, you're, you guys are really similar. If both of us are like, I'm not like him. No, I'm not like him. But it's funny in hindsight now how much our relationship has changed over the years. To, a, I mean, not that I didn't love Raven back then, but I mean, we had really big knockdown, dragout arguments. And we do it every once in a while for fun, but I love him with all my heart. I would never be where I am today and what i be able to do in the wrestling industry without him. I, I can't put him over enough, and, and I can never thank him enough. There's just
2: no way. I love the, like, the backstory of you guys, and he gets you on TV. You're obviously in Ravens flock, and obviously you're not going to be skank. You're going to be a and when you're loady, yeah. you get the sign guy gimmick. And everyone kind of remembers you holding up the signs. There's different messages, right. sometimes right. hidden messages. Where did the idea come from to be the sign guy? That was Raven. Absolutely Raven.
1: And so, you know, he had Sign Guy Dudley doing it already. And he and I've had a gazillion talks about that, you know, Louis later on. And uh, his laughed about He's like, hey, man, no hard feelings. You got all in a bigger market and a bigger environment than I did and got it over. So, you know, it's really your thing. But, um, you know, funny, I just had this conversation on Twitter a couple of weeks ago with some fans about where the signs come from, you know, the ideas. And early on, Raven would probably give me ideas for maybe 50 60% of my signs. And then once he saw that I was grasping the concept of what he needed me to put on the signs as far as putting the town down, putting him over, and basically just, you know, the guy everybody loves to hate. He really backed off after a while. But if he had a great idea, he'd give me one. And a funny thing, so many of the boys that weren't even involved in the flock would give me sign ideas. And so (laughs) I had a lot of guys in my corner. Dean Malenko, who, if you've never spent time with him, was one of the funniest guys in the locker room. And I can't tell you how many times I'm just sitting off by myself making some signs, and he would walk by me and kind of whisper in my ear and just give me a sign idea and keep walking. And I'm like, that is great you know, that's going on my side. So I got credit for a lot of those. But, you know, over half of them, especially in the beginning, were ideas from Raven or the boys or just somebody else. So, you know, I, it, it was nice to have that kind of help to lean on.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I just love that, that kind of idea where it could be like Malenko saying some random stuff that maybe it might make to TV or, you know, Raven giving the idea and you're throwing it out there. Do you have any kind of favorite signs that you made or maybe some that that you could think back of that people wouldn't even get?
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> oh, it's funny you say that because the the, you know, the the ones that I have that people couldn't get, you know, there's one for instance, like Toad Plinipad, and my tag team partner, he changed his name to Toad, and we were living together, so that wasn't too hard. You know, there was one I grew up wrestling with, and yeah. we all started together, the Hardy Boys and Shannon and Shane, and all those guys in North Carolina. There's a group of about thirteen of us. If you went to an indie show. North Carolina in 1996-97, you're going to see all of us there. You know, Joey Abs uh, was there, C.W. Anderson, Chili Willie. You know, like I said there was just a, Steve Carino was there. It's just a group of guys who all had a passion to make it in the business, and you know, on our own with other people's help, we all end up getting a contract at some point. Worked for one of the big three companies, which was really cool. So one of the signs I I put up uh, was Omega Watch and Learn because that was Matt Jeff's first uh, little wrestling company as a joke to them, you know, because they, they weren't under contract yet at, at WWF. They were on um, doing, you know, jobs here and there. So um, those kind of things, you know, they, they were, again, there were a couple that I put on there that Raven gave me that, uh, you know, I, I really can't repeat the hidden meaning behind them because it wasn't nice, but they made it to TV, which was really strange. You know, I never got my signs checked Talk about things going down here at WCW. It was Almost the very end of my time with WCW before anybody came up to me and said, "Hey, we need to start looking at your signs for taking them on TV." And I was like, "You're going to start now?" I mean, I've been doing this for three years. <laughs> you know, two nights a week live on Thunder and SmackDown. I mean, Thunder and and uh, Nitro, and then on the Saturday night shows and every pay per view. You know, it's like we're in D.C. I'm a pretty conservative guy, and I got a degree in political science. So every time we would see, you know, Bill Clinton was in office. One of the things where Bill was around. Like, hey, Bill, you know, did you hug an intern today? Bill, did you inhale? That kind of stuff. So, um, you know, <laughs> it was fun to, make you to, poke, to poke fun at people and um, being the bad guys. Uh, Kidman and I on, on live shows when they go to commercial break, obviously nothing's happening in the arena. And so whenever we were sitting up front, Raven would tell us, "Loaded Kidman getting the ring, entertaining people." So we just slid in the ring every time we went to commercial break, and ran around, you know, yelling at people, insulting people, and me carrying signs around, just to kind of keep the people in the, the building entertained till we came back from commercial break. And we were in El Paso, I think. And Kevin and I hopped up in Brent on the first commercial break, and I held up a sign and says, "Do you have your green card?" You know, and a couple other things about. It. Yeah. It, it was bad, and here come the trash. You know, we're at a commercial break and all of a sudden they're throwing stuff in the ring. Doug Dillinger, head of security, is like, Lodi, get out of the ring. He's, like, he's out on the you know, he's down on the floor by the ring, yelling up at me, Get out of there right now before we have a ride. Get your butt out of there. And so, you know, that that was kind of maybe pushing the extreme a little bit. And then of course we did the Hog Wild pay per view every year from Sturgis. And I came out, you know, in front of however many guys were there on bikes, like twenty some thousand to watch the show. And I carried a sign out in front of all those guys that said biker Chicks are fat and ugly.
2: (laughs) 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 See, this is some great heel heat stuff, too.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, it's a good way to die. If you've never been to (laughs) Sturges for the bike rally, it's brutal. Anything you can imagine that might could happen in life happens there every year. I mean, it was the things I saw, I can't repeat. And it was just, you know, the fact was, all those years of WCW, and this is no big revelation. It's a, everyone who's followed my career or story line knows this. You know, I was under the influence of substance. I never wrestled sober, and there, there were lots of times. So I, I'm, you know, half half-lit, whatever you want to call it, writing these signs. I just didn't have a filter, and so the fact that it took them years to start looking at my signs, let um, me put some of the, the more risky, you know, things out there, was uh, pretty cool for me.
2: It's amazing that not only, you know, like you said, you never wrestle sober, which is just crazy that maybe they didn't pick up on, but it's crazy that they never wanted you to edit or they never edited your signs before you went out there. They never checked. Don't you think that they probably always should be doing that considering, you know, you're going to go on national TV in front of millions of uh, viewers?
1: (laughs) Hey, man, I'm just doing me. That's all I got. I don't know what I should be doing. You know, yeah, I I think at some point it probably would have been better. Uh, maybe, but, you know, we never got in trouble with anything. And then when Lily and I worked together, we did some pretty crazy signs for, you know, Lily and I, the fact that we were the whole storyline was we were brothers and we came out that we were brothers and, you know, but of course we were the West Hollywood Blondes, which I lived in West Hollywood at the time, which if most people don't know. West Hollywood is probably the gayest gayest place in the United States. As far as, you know, they had the rainbow flags on McDonald's and, the, and police cars, and so, you know, I came out with a, some signs one night. Lenny likes the bottom. Lodi, you know, Lodi loves the top. And the next <laughs> sign said, the next, hey guys, easy. The next sign said, bunk. You know, and so Lenny likes the bottom. I like the top. So oh you my know, God. We always see stuff like that, right? And it got on TV. And no one ever said anything until after the Lenny and Lodi stuff. And so the funny thing about this was, and I'm telling all myself, because again, I didn't always follow the rules. They're like, hey, Lou, let me check your signs before you go out. Well, I would make four that were really just generic, not so whatever. They'd look at them like, okay, those are cool, good. Well, I have four more pieces of poster board, and then I'd make four that were risque and slot them in there so when I went out. they never And they never once caught on to it, ever. Once I started checking, <laughs> look at what I had in my hand. Like, I'm like, here they are. It's like turning in you know, your best friend's homework that he did. <clears throat> You know, because you didn't do yours. And as soon, as soon as they checked off, I said, oh, yeah, those are good, easy, good stuff. Good, good job, Lodi. I'd go make four more that I knew they didn't like at that point just to get them on TV for fun.
2: Oh, God, so great. And and I'll get into the Lenny and Lodi stuff in, in just a second because that gay gimmick brother thing was, was gold. And you guys were awesome at that point. <laughs> but I just wanted to uh, go back to Nitro and go back to the flocking. Go back to Lodi. So your first match, really, first one-on-one match at WCW is basically on Nitro against Benoit, right?
1: It was, and and you know what? One of the greatest nights and moments of my life. It really was by far. I started out, and it was almost two months before I had my first match. And the point of that whole thing, and i got to tell this story quick about Benoit because I loved him when I heard the story of, of what happened I couldn't have been more surprised had it been my own brother. It was just so far out of left field to understand that or grasp the person I knew and the way he treated me. They were doing – we were in an angle with Raven and Benoit. And so we set up a deal where Raven had gotten sick, so Benoit was going through every member of the flock. And I knew a week in advance that I had Benoit next Monday at Nitro in Buffalo. And my old tag team partner that I mentioned, Toad, he said, you know – You haven't wrestled yet, and the fans hate your guts. It would be great to see Benoit just destroy you. He said he's not going to let you plan the match, but if you could, here's what you should do. Boom, 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 boom. And he kind of laid out, it was up to me, how the match should go. And so I get to the building, and I'm nervous because it's my first time on national TV live, and I'm wrestling Chris Benoit. And instead of – in hindsight now, knowing what I do, instead of relaxing and you knowing he's going to make the match great, I really don't have anything to worry about. I just don't want to mess up my stuff. So I see Benoit at 2 o'clock, right? soon he's supposed to be in the building, maybe in catering. I'm like, hey, Chris, you and I tonight, You're already up on the board. Whenever you want to get together and talk about our match, you tell me, sir, whatever works for you. He's like, cool, Lodi. I'll talk to you there. I see him again about 4 o'clock. Hey, Chris, you know, just we'll talk about our match tonight. He know. Hey, Lodi, I'll, I'll get with you later it rolls up around seven o'clock and i still haven't talked to ben and so now i'm getting a little stressed so i go to raven and i'm like hey are we going out you know halfway through the show tonight or when he goes Nah, let's go out before the show starts because he always made that decision so that means we're walking out at 7 45 and i haven't found ben and it's like 7 30 and so i'm going to be at ringside and climb over the barrier get in the ring for my first match and I'm 15 minutes away from walking out, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And I go through a curtain just into a, another part of the hallway, and I run to Benoit at like 740. I'm like, Chris, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm never forgetting coffee in his hand. He's like, you just quit bothering me. I'm like, hey, can you hear me out? I'm not trying to bother you, but we're going out to sit in the crowd in five minutes. Can we just briefly go over what we're going to do? And he goes, oh, I forgot about that. He looks at me and says, what do you want to do? Now, huh. that me- because here's a green kid who hasn't been on TV. And he looks at me and says, what do you want to do? Now, I told you my taxing partner had come up with a good match for us to do. If that was ever there or I had the opportunity to give him some ideas. So I look at Chris and I'm like, why don't I come out, get up on the apron. Bam. You glide me off. Beat me all around the ring. Chop, chop, chop. Get your stuff in I'll get a little bit of heat. When we go to the finish. You know, Ben Watt used to use three things for finish back then. He would do the uh, superplex. He would do the diving headbutt. He would do the cross face. I said, man, this may sound crazy and it may be too much, but can you do all three? And he looked at me after I gave the whole match to him once. said, "Right, I see you out there. He walked off. We went out. We went on right before the nine o'clock hour and he came out. We never talked about it again because I was out in the you know, arena and he came out and followed everything I gave him one time to a T and that was the match we put on TV. Today's episode
0: of the two man power trip of wrestling is brought to you by Bluetooth guys remember the days when you were ready to go well now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in the bedroom with a little help from the triple threat podcast and the two man power trip so listen up bluechew.com that's blue like the color blue Blue bluechew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work you can take them anytime day or night even on a full stomach and since they are chewable they work up to twice as fast as any other pill so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises now if you know any about our show, we've always got to be ready. But with Blue Chew, if you can benefit from extra function and more confidence where it counts, then Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Most guys talk a good game, but Blue Chew helps you follow through. So right now we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit Blue get your first shipment for free when you use the promo code franchise and just pay five dollars shipping again. Use the promo code franchise and pay just five dollars shipping. Again, it's bluechew.com blueche Use the promo code FRANCHISE and try it for free, courtesy of your friends over at the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling and the Triple Threat Podcast. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring our podcast.
2: Unbelievable, because they think about it, and and obviously he's one of the all-time greats as far as in ring especially at that point I mean, yeah he was he was really coming into his own he was on fire he was just one of the best wrestlers in the world so that's pretty you know pretty unbelievable for you that he's first of all agreeing with you and letting you basically set up the match
1: you know and here's the thing I think I'd earned his respect because when we were in that few of them while we jumped him every night there were you know a flock running and a flock running we left him lay in more times than I could count So the one good thing, again, about Raven and us doing a flock run-in that was different from just the NWO hitting the ring and just, you know, in mass, we would set up spots. And typically, I was always the first. I was a cannon fodder. I'm going to be the first one to get bumped by Benoit. <laughs> you know, and so we had planned out spots in the ring for run-ins for about two months. But so, he, had, like I said, I think he trusted me. And the fact that he came out and did that match. And the only thing, again, on the network. You can go watch it. I think it was December 8th. Um, the only thing that did happen, we were right to the point for the cutoff for me to start my heat, and the wrestling did in and said, "You guys got to go home. We're running to the nine o'clock hour against Raw." And Chris looked at me, and goes, "Lodi, I'm sorry, we got to go home now." I'm like, "Let's do it, you know." And when I came through the curtain, Arn Anderson was waiting on me. Arn's like, "Please don't be upset that you know, we need to try FinCEN. We took you home early. It doesn't matter, you know. All the years I wrestled, never once delayed to beat. For one loss, he just catch my check." And I said, Arn, I'm good, man. I just had my first match on national live T V with Chris Benoit
2: and the you know, the fans ate up
1: all we did. I'm good, brother. Thank you though. You know, so it was a really cool night with a lot of cool stuff going on.
2: That is awesome, and I do remember obviously so many Great moments of the flock, but I just love like when you guys would do run and stuff in spots, even with Goldberg, you see, you know, this spot, this spot, he, you know, helped uh, do the jackhammer to Reese and he'll spear yeah. one of you guys, like literally out of your boots. Just so cool the way you yeah. guys kind of, the chemistry you guys had, like, okay, he's gonna pop in the ring spot, he popped the ring, the crowd would go nuts.
1: They, they would, you know, and, and that's the funny thing, too, again, and, you know, not to turn this into a a, a raven night, but he made us do it that way. And it made such a difference as opposed to like a group of five guys running down one time, just jumping on a dude, you know, it just didn't have any excitement to us. Like, okay, there's five guys beating him up, but the way we split it up, if, if we we're going to get over on a guy, the first two or three guys, the big baby face would run through and it would take four or five or six of us to, you know, knock him down. So it kind of meant something made him look better. And I think like you said, it just made the whole thing flow a whole lot easier.
2: And the crowd was, popping for this, popping for that. I mean, it was just a constant kind of high for the crowd. They would go nuts. Do you think that they ended the Flock and disbanded the Flock a little too early? Obviously, you know, Saturn breaks (laughs) off, Saturn beats Raven. He, at one point, which was pretty cool, was your assistant, because you beat him in a match. I mean, they had all this cool stuff, but then they disbanded it kind of out of nowhere. Do you think it was too soon?
1: Uh, uh, Yes, I do. And (laughs) if you talk to some other Flock members that any of the ones that remember that night. We had a spot, and we had been together for a while, but we had a spot where we all had to go to the ring and do something. And I think maybe, maybe was a promo or something like that, and the, we were running short on time that night, so everybody got, everything got pushed back. And it was amazing to me that when the flock, whether it was nine or ten of us, whatever, when we came down through the crowd in the arena, or we came out, um, about half the time, It wasn't Raven sucks. It was Lodi sucks. You know, my character, they they just love to hate my character. And I will never forget, for whatever reason, that night, it was overboard. It was just like the whole arena was on Lodi. And when we came back through the curtain, the next segment was Bischoff and Hogan. And so they were standing by the curtain. when We got that kind of reaction. And we walked through, and he's like, good job, kid, something like that. And all the guys were like, oh, no. Hogan knows who we are now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh,
2: oh, oh, oh shit.
1: Brother, that that thing came down the pipe so fast after that. It was like, yep, we're going to finish the with the flock and break you guys up. I think somebody only wanted one bad guy group at WCW. Uh, mm-hmm. Damn. And here's the thing. We, we we had room and you know, I can't tell you how many people have asked me like, you know what would have been cool if the flock could have feud with the NWO? And like yes back in 97 98 that, that would have been great that would have been cool but never happened so yes I, of course because that was you know my gimmick you know that was a part of so yeah i'm always gonna say it ended too soon you know, in like my perfect world it goes on forever but it didn't quite have that kind of legs
2: damn it's such a, it was such a good thing that was going on and it was i definitely 100 percent think it ended too soon but it did did lead to, like you said, the, the West Hollywood Blondes, and Lenny would be possibly one of the funniest, most entertaining tag teams of all time. I, I love what you guys were doing. Was the original idea that you were brothers, or was it always going to be the, that it was a gay gimmick?
1: You know, here's the thing, and, and, and I don't, I'm not offended by you guys saying it was a gay gimmick, but never once on TV or in print did anybody involved with WCW or us Use that word. Hmm. The whole, the, never, no, nobody ever used it on, on TV. No one ever used the word gay, homosexual. None of that was ever used. And so the reason I bring that up, that was one of the reasons GLAD, Gay and Lesbians Against Defamation, got us kicked off TV. They, they made, the, they, one of the five things that they complained about was Lenny and Lodi were introduced. I was introduced every night as Lenny's gay tag team partner. And that never happened. It couldn't be further from the truth. The whole thing was going to turn out. We were always going to eventually come out as brothers. But it was all Lenny's idea. Lenny came to me after the flood broke up and knew that I was you know, fairly close with Kevin Nash. So I could talk to him about stuff. And I'll never forget, they weren't doing much with the Lodi character. And at that time, Lenny was just an enhancement guy, basically. And he walked up to me, and he's like, hey, Lodi, what are they doing with you now? And I'm like, nothing. And he said, what do you about to think about us forming a tag team? And I knew him from the shows, but we weren't, the buddies weren't close. We'd never really spent any time together. And I looked at him, and I said, where are we going to be? Lean and the losers? I mean, <laughs> what, what,
2: is <laughs> team, what is us
1: being a tag team going to help either one of us? He looked at me and said, bro, i got this great idea. I think it would be great for us. Like, what's your idea? He goes, have you ever seen the ambiguous CK duo on Saturday Night Live? <laughs> that, that, that was the whole thing. He said, I think we could pull that off. And he had this idea, like, you know, you and I could be walking down the beach, just hanging out, you know, eating ice cream. And I drop my ice cream cone, and you share it with me. You know? And I'm like, oh, well, they're never going to do that. But I'll tell you what. Said, Come on. You, you can pitch that to Nash. You can pitch that to Nash. And it was we were at a Saturday night TV taping on a Tuesday night. I said, do me a favor. If you prove to me that you really want to do this, and you're serious, write it up. Bring it to me the next TV. I'll take it to Kevin. I mean, I've got nothing to lose. And I I knew he wouldn't do it. And two weeks later, we showed up. Here comes money with three pages type stuff. And the first line says, this is not a gay gimmick. (laughs) That's how it it started. And I look at him. I'm like, that's how you're going to start it, huh? He said, bro, it's great. I promise. You said you'd take it to Kevin. Let's go. So. I walked down the hallway to where Kevin's office was. Said, Kevin, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, sure, Lenny, come on in. He said, what's up? I said, got an idea, you know, for our characters and something moving forward. Can I run it by you? And he's like, what you got? And uh, I had it paper in my hand. I said, here you go. And I handed it to Kevin. Kevin reads aloud. This is not a gay gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks up at me like I am the most ignorant person in the entire world. And he goes, I think he wanted to say, are you effing kidding me? And that's the out in his face. He just tosses it on the desk and goes, we can't do that here. Get out of my office. And I'm like, sorry, bro. Got it. We're, we're gone. Thanks for, you know, 30 seconds. And so that was it. And about maybe a month and a half, two months later, I was living in West Hollywood, like I told you. And I got a phone call from Ross Foreman, who was at one point our editor of our magazine and really close to cabinet. He said, "Hey man, I got to tell you something real quick." I'm like, "What's up?" He said, "You're gonna get a call in a few minutes. Um, don't tell him you know anything, but I think they're gonna run with the Lenny Lodi thing." And he clicked, clicked off, done. I'm like, "What?" My phone rings. It's Kevin. And he's like, "Hey, what are you doing Monday night?" I'm like, "I don't know. What do you want?" He said, "Can you come do Nitro? I think we're we'll gonna try that thing you and uh, Lenny talked about, Bro, See you on Monday." And so that's how that's how it came about.
2: Uh, that's so great. I just remember of one instance, literally, you guys, it said closet, and you guys literally came out of a closet. Like, the hilarity, just, yeah. just the ideas you came up with, is that you and him just making it up, or is Nash kind of involved in some of these awesome, hilarious, creative ideas?
1: Um, go back to what I said earlier, and, and this is t- Dusty Rhodes. He gave us more lines for our vignette than anybody else. He, he was always... Kind of, kind of like our agent for our backstage stuff. And he gave us great ideas all the way down to the, you know, Sonny Chair line where I've got you, you know, you've got me and I've got you, babe. I said that to him <laughs> one night. And the whole thing about coming out of the closet. The bad thing about coming out of the closet, we were in Atlanta that night. And there were a bunch of AOL time Warner executives there, and they didn't like it.
2: <laughs>
1: and so they, they, actually complained, they actually complained to Bischoff. And he brought up to us the next week, his guys, you kind got to tone it down a little bit. And I was like, all right, sorry, I apologize. I didn't think that was that big of a deal. And like you said, I'm glad you brought it up first because it was entertaining to you, right? Or you said it was. It was kind of funny.
2: But, uh, oh, that is so it, funny. It didn't, go over
1: well. it, didn't go, it didn't go over well in the AOL Time Warner guys. And that was our whole thing. We kind of wanted to push the envelope with it without ever saying anything. And we thought that would be enough for us to kind of go with it. And it just turned out that it, it was too over. Uh, a lot of people don't know this. Um, can't say my mom's super proud, but 1999, Lenny and I were one of the top 100 gay acts of Out Magazine.
2: So, <laughs> little, little tidbit of information for you there. Yeah, go ahead, make It's funny. <laughs> you should you should have sent the treat the you know the Lenny's treatment where it says this is not a gay gimmick. You should have sent that out to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, maybe it was a little ahead of its time. Maybe it's just, you know, the, the the other funny thing to how this ended, you know, we knew at some point we were going to come out with the brother thing. Like, you know, every time Lenny was backstage kind of stressing out, he's like, Chloe, I think the office knows. I think the office knows. And I was always like, Lenny, don't worry. It's not like we're the only two here. we are talking about brothers as
2: opposed to. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, most, most people
1: yeah, right? So, most people took that the other way. And uh, so we're in the shower, getting ready to film a vignette. We're Lenny and Lodi. We're, we're in the shower. The shower's running. You know, we're wearing a boxer. They're shooting us from the waist up, and the whole thing was supposed to end with Lenny dropping the soap. And he's like, "Don't worry, Lodi, I'll get it." He's going to bend over in front of me. So we're getting ready to shoot this vignette. I know it's bad. We're getting ready to shoot this vignette, and they're getting ready. Like three, two, arm comes busting the locker room. Lenny, Lodi. Out of the shower, for are in <laughs> You guys got to be brothers now. Like, oh. so that would never made it. That one never made it to TV, but we were really, really close to filming it. And uh, that's the night we shot the vignette. You know, then we turned around and did a vignette was JJ Dillon in his office and Lenny's stressing out. He goes, "Look, guys, we know what you guys are doing. We know what you're hiding from us." And Lenny's all stressed out. And he goes, "You know, you guys aren't the only two here." And we're like, "Yeah, yeah." And he goes. I know you brothers. So you can't sign your contract, Lenny and Lodi. Put your last <laughs> name on there, and so that's that's where it went to us being brothers. And
2: within two weeks of
1: that, you know, Glad it's gotten us kicked off TV.
2: Yeah, it's so funny, and and I just you know, obviously you remember the the outfit the outfits you guys be flamboyant to BYOB, bring your own blow pops. Like you said, <laughs> that yeah. shower scene would have would have been oh my god, that would have been over the top. That would have been so funny. It's so great, but obviously, like you said, Glad came and, and kind of you know, killed it off and, and they kind of it ruined did. it. Do you think it went too far at all? Because I don't really think it did. I thought it was perfect the way it was go- going on.
1: I have heard that from multiple people. And of course, again, go back to the flock. Did the flock in too early? Yeah. Did the Lindy Lodie stuff in too early? Of course, I think it did. I don't think we. When Glad complained and they came to the executive with five issues that they were upset about and this was in the usa today it was in the washington paper you know i told you earlier that they said one of the problems was we were introduced to each other's homosexual partner every arena and that never happened um they complained about the closet episode and had sent a comment in or a, a note or something somebody at wcw and they let them know say, hey you know we're not going to run again we are you know, episode weekly episodic show. We we do a different show every week, and somebody I guess saw a repeat of the show or saw a clip of it, and you know they were complaining that they were told it would never run again, and they said WWE kept running it. They also said they would be fine what we were doing if one of us had been an established character already, as opposed to two new characters. Well, Lenny and I have been on TV for three years already, so or two years for me and, and almost three for Lenny. So it wasn't like we weren't, we weren't new characters. You know, and so they said we were inciting homophobic behavior. Um, and so that that may be touchy. Maybe maybe they thought so or whatever. But, you know, those were the reasons they gave to get us off TV. And so instead of WCW standing up for us whatsoever, they just bowed down immediately and said, hey, guys, we'll take you off TV for a while repackage we'll you with something else later.
2: And that was pretty much the end of that. Yeah, that stinks, and and I remember the the end of it really was like, well, you know, you're not the only ones. What you were saying before, and I was, I remember like, well, Rick and Scott, and I was like, you know, you'd be like confused. Yeah, wait, what? Booker and Stevie, you're like, wait, what? And like, yeah, you're not the only brothers. Yeah, like how that came out was very, very exactly. Funny. You know, we had
1: the Armstrongs. You know, yeah, there were lots of
2: yep. brothers there. <laughs> Now, obviously, you know, you get taken off TV The end, the end, um, and it kind of you know, stinks because it, it's going so well and it's so great. Were you guys actually suspended, or they just took you off TV?
1: They took us off TV. We were never suspended. We sat home with pay for about six, eight months. And the, the crushing thing for us was we had a pay-per-view coming up right before they took us off TV. And at the time, Harlem Heat were the tag team champions. And Nash wanted to put the belts on us. We were going to be a surprise that night. Somebody they were wrestling was not going to show up, or they were going to portray that storyline, and we were going to get the belts at the next pay-per-view. And so the whole time, timing thing really stunk. You know, and Lenny had the cruiserweight belt already, and so he had that. That never got dropped. They just that was the Phantom win on a house show somewhere. We we'll passed it off because we were off TV then. Right after that, for right at six to eight months, I don't have the exact figure in my head because it's been 20 years ago but we sat home for a while which you know if if you're a wrestler getting paid is great but when you're out of sight
2: you're out of mind yeah that's true and when you do return basically do the very funny I guess Vince Russo was writing at this point I think Bischoff might have been gone You when you guys came back at standards and practices which is almost kind of making fun of the real standards and practices that were kind of controlling WWE's creative at this point (laughs) You're absolutely right, and that was
1: a Russo idea, and we were all, Lenny and I both, were disappointed that that's what they brought us back for. Um, they had tried a couple of ideas that the actual standards of practice kept shooting down for us, and they ran that by them, and, and then, like I said, they were kind of poking fun at them, but, you know, the only people that got that were the inside wrestling guys or the really smart you know, wrestling fans, your average wrestling fan had no idea what standards and practice even was. And Lenny didn't want to do it. Was, yeah, mm-hmm. Lenny didn't want to do it. He's like, look, bro, that we can do better than that, whatever. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And then he switched on and we said, look, we've been out TV too long. We'll get it over somehow. And, um, again, I, I talked about this in several interviews, but everything that we were kind of promised with the whole standards of practice and practices gimmick um, to just go out and do it for the first night after that, all fell through. It, nothing ever came to fruition with what we were told. So I kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. And you know, shortly thereafter, um, WW was cutting guys and turning people loose. But finally, went out of business. And so we got our release. I
2: got mine, and they really
1: got his shortly after mine.
2: I guess really the only kind of good thing that came out of that was really Stacy Keebler kind of making her debut. Yeah. Basically, was kind of the only good yeah, thing
1: look, look, about it. Look, yeah. <laughs> look at what she did. Yeah, you know, and the funny thing was when Sullivan came back, he was doing some of the booking, he was like, what are you guys doing in suits and these outfits? These are terrible. And I'm like, yeah, it was an idea, Kevin. And so at the time, now listen, I, I, I know Stacy went on much bigger and brighter things. She was not much of a wrestling fan, was not very good at knowing her cues or her spots because she didn't know wrestling. And she screwed up more than one of her matches. Like, for instance, she was supposed to be the catalyst for, you know, starting our heat. And instead of coming out when she was supposed to, she, come, she would come out way early. Or she would be, you know, because she just didn't know what spot she was supposed to come out during. And, you know, we'd say, hey, you're coming out on the suplex. And explained to her what it was. And she goes out on a body slam. What kind of, like a suplex? And we're like, oh, gosh. Oh,
2: so boy. when Kevin
1: came back around, we're like, yeah, when Kevin came back around, and here's where you guys laugh at, dumb loading once more, we begged him to go ahead and take her away from us and, and put her with somebody else we, we were just done with it at that point and so um you know like i said she went on to bigger and better things for sure than lenny and i did but at the time it was just we, we thought we'd had enough of that it was just we didn't need her anymore so
2: it's crazy that they kind of couldn't think of some more stuff for you and lenny i mean perfect i mean they had excess for a team name for you guys, didn't really work out. Idle and rave, and then like yeah. all these kind of different little names and kind of tinkering with you guys. But how come you know they like, you not really like, think of, of something you know grander for you guys? A better idea.
1: You know what? If, if I had the answer to that, you know maybe we'd still be working somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't. I, I don't know. You know they, they pitched us a couple of ideas before they brought us back for sands and practices that they had pitched. They had all gotten shot down. Um, so. You know, that was one of the first ones they got okayed. So, I, and I don't even know all of that. You know, they were just telling us, hey, we tried this gimmick. They said no. We tried this gimmick. They said no. And so when we came back, you know, Lenny had dyed his hair and I'd cut mine off. And so, you know, we, they had mess around with our names. So they said, if we put you back out there as Lenny and Lodi, you know, they're going to, you know, say we didn't follow through what they said we're going to do. And so it was it just turned
2: a, a cluster after Glad complained. <laughs> And you mentioned the release from WCW. Did they ever give any reason? Was it like, oh, we can't, you know, couldn't think of anything for me, or you know, whatever absurd thing that they say? Was there any reason behind the release?
1: You know what? Truly, when I got the call, it was a Friday afternoon, and it was, you know, basically one of those, hey man, real sorry to tell you this, but they and look, it, we we weren't shocked that it was coming because we'd gone from 180 guys on contract down to like 80 or 60, and, you know, Laney and I were still around. And, um, you know, the calls like, hey, you know, nothing personal. We're just having to cut back, so we really can't afford to pay you. and You know, good luck with your future endeavors without saying it, basically. So, you know, and after
0: WCW, you know, you, you had some documented issues that, you know, you've been pretty, uh, pretty open about. Did the wrestling business kind of uh, contribute to some of the issues, especially, you know, during that time period? I think people were really, uh, you know, they were a little bit more, you know, uh, freewheeling than maybe uh, they are now in the sports world. But, you know, how was it dealing with some of those issues you had following the wrestling days?
1: Yeah, you know, here was the deal. I, I ended up with a terrible substance abuse problem and was very addicted to drugs. And it was a rock and roll lifestyle. And it was one of those things, if you didn't do it, you know, and I'm 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 not implying that everyone had a drug problem. Um, but, but everybody partied. And a lot of people drank. And so, um, you know, I ended up in rehab and after WCW at one point And we uh, wrestled overseas for World Wrestling All-Stars on a tour over there and had a really hot, bad, high ankle sprain. And that was the first time I took painkillers again after I'd gotten clean. <clears throat> and thankfully, to fast forward to 2009, um, was the last time I had a drink and so come up in August I'll be 10 years sober I haven't had a drink or a pill and you know I had my third neck fusion um, my third neck surgery in August of 2017 and I refused to take a pain medication home and the physician's assistant and the nurse were like you're never going to heal without pain medication your body's going to take forever because the pain's going to keep you from healing blah blah I'm like hey I put this on myself I'm not taking pain pills again so you know um, I'm very thankful that God has made me a lot stronger than I was before and I can deal with that kind of stuff. And like I said, it's all self-induced, but for me, I think to have one of those pills or two of those pills would absolutely lead me back into my addiction because I'm just, you know, not strong enough on my own. So I don't need to tempt myself.
0: Well, congratulations on the 10 years sober. That's phenomenal. And that's obviously Thank a you. testament to your Thank will. You. And, you know, you're, you have so many positive things to talk about, but like I had said, you know, it's a different business now than it was then. And you get to see how the kids come in these days versus how you were coming in in 97. So do you use that somewhat in your teaching curriculum for the incoming students of kind of making right decisions versus making wrong decisions?
1: Yeah, I absolutely do. And thank you for bringing that up, because that is one of the most important jobs I have left. I I truly feel like. And so when I speak um, at schools or at churches or whatever, I truly feel like God kept me around for a reason because we were so bad. Um, a lot of us that were um, in Bobby and overusing, uh, you know, we had a lot of people die to drug overdoses, suicide and that kind of thing that were friends. And we were all so bad off. We would go to funerals high. You know, your friend just died of a drug overdose. And you're going to his funeral and you're high. Like, did you not learn anything there? And so um, it, it's, it's almost embarrassing to talk about at this point. So I feel like, One of the reasons God spared me was just to help. If I help one kid not make the mistakes I did, that's a success. And I feel like I've helped more than that. But I've also had some guys I worked with closely that that still couldn't defeat their demons and ended up dead. You know, one of the hardest ones I had to lose as far as a friend and somebody I love being around was Reed Flair a couple years ago. You know, I was working with Reed and taking him on the road and training with him. And, you know, when when he passed, that was one of the toughest ones I had to deal with, to be honest with you.
0: Wow, that's uh, that That was absolutely a shocking death, without a doubt. He was so young and presumably had a great career ahead of him and really could have done some pretty uh, impressive things, obviously, with the, uh, the the family pedigree that we've seen is so successful. Right. Uh, but, you know, what is it that you feel, you know, you can kind of steer somebody away? Because I'm going to just hit it over the head again. It's a different business now than it was in 97. And, and I really feel like... You know, the more we learn from the mistakes, the, the better we are down the road. But have you had any instances where you've had to kind of grab somebody and say, hey, you know, it's all about making the right decisions? I mean, maybe even with Reed. I mean, I don't know. Was there somebody that you've had that opportunity to kind of grab and say, hey, you know, you got to kind of straighten out the, uh, the wheels here and get back on track?
1: Yeah, there he is. And, and like I said, that, that was my whole process with Reed was, you know, he had such a bad reputation doing indie shows around North Carolina for not being sober. He, was, um, he couldn't get booked in North Carolina. No, I mean, if your last name is Flair in North Carolina you can't get a wrestling promoter to book you, you burn some bridges. And so once I started working with him and help him stay sober and train in the ring, I would, take, I would call a promoter wherever I was wrestling that weekend. I'm like, hey, I'm bringing Reed with me. Either let him work with me or have him work with somebody else. And they're like, oh, I'm not putting Reed on my show. He'll no-show me. I'm like, no, he's doing great. He's coming with me. I'll be responsible for him. And so... You know, like I said, he was one that I worked with closely that we lost. And there have been, you know, and and no reason to to throw their name out there, but there have been several who've come to me who had problems like, hey, can you please tell me how you did it? Can you be my accountability partner? Can you walk me through this? Can you pray for me? And so I I know I've helped some people, um, but I'm not done. And so, yeah, like like I told you before, if I can help one or a right. 100, I mean, I, I truly believe that's why I didn't pass away from a drug overdose when I was doing such ridiculous amounts, ridiculous things that, you know, killed people that took less.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why I think with this interview, people are going to learn a lot more about what you have to offer with your school and what's out there because, you know, look, we know certain names that, that do the training these days, but with back with Reed really quickly because not that people forget about yeah. him, but I think people forget that he was kind of on the fast track at some point. Now, had Reed, you know, obviously, you know, been able to overcome some of those demons, do you think that Reed Flair would be a kind of that, that recognizable name that his sister has actually become now in the wrestling world?
1: I think he had a good shot at it. And, you know, one cool thing for me is I have loved every accolade that, you know, Ashley has won and everything she's been able to do. And she started her original and initial training with me here in Charlotte. And she, she worked with me before she ever went, got picked up and went down to um uh, Florida for, you know, down to the um, training center down there. Because at the time, Bill DeMott was still running it. And I called Bill when, after Charlotte had asked me if I would train her. And um, I said, Bill, what do you want me to do? And he's – it was funny because he said, Lodi, it doesn't matter what you teach her over the next couple of months um, once she gets down here. This was the age where he's, his words, not mine, you know, Vince is going to give her one little sexy move, and she's going to pull hair, and it's going to be over. And I said, bro, I can't do that. I, I want She wants to learn to so I'm going to train her like a guy. And he said, well – and so – about three months after working with her, she ended up like going down to the training center. He called me and said, you did a fantastic job. Congratulations. So I'm really happy for her success.
2: That is awesome that you could be a part of that. And obviously she's one of the biggest stars in the WWE today. But as we hit the wind down button, we head towards the finish line. I got to ask you, because obviously, you know, you still wrestle occasionally, you're obviously training a lot of guys. Obviously, you have a great pedigree as far yeah. as training wrestlers. Charlotte being, you know, probably the biggest name. What are some of your yeah. favorite matches that you've had in your career?
1: My all-time favorite is, and this probably will never change, even though, like you know, I had a weekend off a week ago, but I, was, you know, I had eight straight weekends where I worked. I'm working like the next four in a row. So I'm thankfully still staying busy, and thankfully the people will still pay to watch me work. But as far as one of my favorite matches to be a part of, um, I was not actually wrestling in, but it was, you, you alluded to it earlier, Raven versus um, Saturn at Fall Brawl when we, we had the um, the loser. If you know Saturn won, the flock had to break up. That happened to take place in Winston-Salem, and I'm from North Carolina. So the fact that it took place... You know, in my home state, and so much of my family was there to see that match, and that's that is a must-watch match for every single kid I trained just because Raven and Saturn, every false finish they used in that match had the fans coming out of their seat. If you haven't watched that match in a long time, I was I was at ringside, and then that's that's the night, uh, you know, Saturn ended up giving me the Death Valley Driver through the table. Uh, Canyon was handcuffed at ringside. Uh, Kidman and Riggs came down at some point so we, we were all involved but I was at ringside but to be a part of that in my in my home state in front of my friends and family I just can't pick a match that had you know a bigger meaning in my career or was better laid out better orchestrated better executed just it it was a great match
2: that is awesome and as far as you wrestling obviously you are still wrestling because at the gathering yeah you will also be a part of rumble at the hilton event which is going to be pretty big and pretty cool down there in charlotte so you know what do you think about also being a part of that event as well you know i'm again
1: anytime i'm allowed to climb into the ring now to work and and still have fans there, I'm just very thankful, you know, and that's where I've turned my wrestling now into my ministry. You know, all my Lodi t-shirts have a Bible verse on them. All my Lodi pictures have a Bible verse on them. And so for me, it's a it's a different way of reaching people um, with the gospel because there aren't that many uh, professing, you know, Christians wrestling and, and putting that before the wrestling. And so the fact that that and my tag team partner on most shows is Scotty Matthews we're called Team Fearless because we're fearless to stay on each street corner and talk about our love for Jesus Christ. It's just that part of our ministry, and to be able to do that, combine two things we love so much, um, I'm still living the dream. So I'm very blessed and thankful.
2: And, of course, you'll be down there with k WrestleFest. If anybody's not familiar with them, you should be because they're always at big and great signings, so it's always great to be a yeah. part of the k WrestleFest crew. Of course, KSWrestleFest.com weebly.com dot com for free orders, which is very, very cool. What do you think about working with those guys? Because they are some of the best in the business as far as autograph signings. Yeah,
1: they're they're phenomenal. I've done a couple of things with them in the past and they always treat us great. So anytime they call, ninety nine percent of the time I'm gonna be there.
0: Yeah, it's I mean, you're gonna be there. It's gonna be such a happening. At the gathering, you know, the the sheer weekend, August uh, what, 16th, it's a whole four days worth of an event down there in Charlotte, and we're going to be there as well, so we're going to be looking forward to seeing you, but when you look back at that heyday of your wrestling career, Lodi, when you look back at those days of Monday Nitro and being ringside for all those matches and seeing all the action, the calamity, the excitement, everything that went on, with, what do you want fans to remember about Lodi? Do you want us to remember the signs? Do you want us to remember the flock? Do you want us to remember what you've done post WCW and what you're doing now with your ministry work and obviously with your school, what is it you want wrestling fans to remember about your career?
1: You know, I love wrestling. I absolutely adore it with all my heart, probably more than I've loved any woman. And that's not being mean to women. It's just that's how much I love wrestling and wrestling has given me so much. And for me, like I said, to still be doing it at 48 years old, um, Is such a blessing, and to pass that on to other kids. I just like the fans to know, you know, when I was the loaded character in the flock, and and you love to hate me. Um, I just enjoy entertaining people. And if somewhere along the way, what I did was entertaining to you, or brings a smile to your face, where you're like, oh, I remember such and such. Man, that's a success for me. And if along the way I get to talk to you about Jesus, and and you find out something you didn't know already, that's that's a big win.
0: Absolutely, and again, it's uh, the gathering—a weekend of wrestling fans and fun. August fifteenth through the eighteenth, down at the Hilton Charlotte University in Charlotte, North Carolina. And like I said, we're going to see you there, Lodi. So we're looking forward to it. But you know, looking back at this interview, I got to say, John is a little bit obsessed with Lenny and Lodi. If you if you really think about it, man, he really got into that discussion. <laughs>
1: I'm glad we entertained you, and I'm glad you remember them so well. You must have a great memory.
0: <laughs> it's uh, so awesome to look back on it, Lodi. We look forward to seeing you then. And please, before we let you go, share with the listeners of the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling where they can find everything going on in the world of Lodi, where they can find the information about your school, and yeah. obviously, uh, we will be seeing you down at the gathering.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Real quick, my, I have a personal training studio here in Charlotte, and that's where the school is located. And so if you just go to my website, yourflexappeal.com is the name of my gym, yourflexappeal.com. And the Team Phillips Training Academy actually has a page there. Um, You know, you can find me at Brad Lodi Kane on Facebook. Instagram is Lodi1Brad. Twitter is Lodi1Brad. And I post everything I'm doing on there as far as, you know, everything from advertising the gym and the training school to where I'm wrestling next. So it's pretty easy to find me on social media, I think.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and we will look forward to seeing you in a few weeks down in Charlotte. Have have a great rest of the night. And Lodi, it's been a ton of fun, and we appreciate all the time tonight.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. Have a good one.
0: Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world
1: is downloading.